shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. We're busted. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. All right, up to episode 10. We're in double digits already with Star Wars Rebels here in season one. And an interesting episode, I would say a kind of a turning point in the show so far. Vision of Hope, written by Henry Gilroy and directed by Stephen Lee. Stephen G. Lee, be the official name. Originally aired, or to air, on February 2nd, 2015. But it's been with us for a little bit longer via on-demand channels since January 26th. And we got a, uh, a an intimate little group here to discuss this episode. Starting, first of all, with my good friend and yours from Chicago, buried under about a foot of snow, at least. <laughs> Going to be more. And enjoy some hot cocoa and talk about Rebels. Because that's really all I can do today. I am completely snowed in here. And it's a Sunday. We're actually releasing this show a little bit early. Uh, because, uh, why? Because, Jason, you're, you're not going to be with us next week. And, uh, no, we- I've, no, I've got the, the day job is, uh, is taking over my life here for a week. We've got uh, a great show rolling into town. I hope they get in because of the weather. But we've got the uh, revival of Pippin, which is one of my all-time favorite musicals. And uh, so I'm really excited to have them in uh, for a couple of weeks. Great. So if you're in the Cleveland area, be sure to visit the Playhouse Square Theater and see Pippin and tell them Jason Swank sent you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a few tickets left. Not a lot. Not a lot. So, But here we are. And, you know, speaking of not a lot, there's not a lot of episodes left this season for Star Wars Rebels. And, I uh, yeah, I can't believe we're actually already getting to a point where we're winding down season one. And uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, but from uh, things that uh, Freddie Prince Jr. has gone on the record saying, actually, he tweeted over the weekend that uh, they have recorded double the amount of episodes for season two. So I'm sure we'll be able to get together uh, a lot of on a lot of weekends. And, and when we get together on weekends to record these shows, we always have the opportunity to get Paul Bateman in the mix. Yeah, we got we, we got Paul Bateman. Here he is from. Uh... The other Never. side of the pond. I, I do. I just had to say, you know, when I saw Freddie's uh, tweet, Paul, I thought, geez, I just hope that um, second half of the season season isn't going to be like, uh, you know, Rebels, the Lost Missions. And they're going <laughs> to be all, uh, you know, yeah. sk- well, animatics and half finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or pencil sketches. Right. Or <laughs> like, yeah, little cut out paper things like South Park or something. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we figured we'd just save a little bit of money with the second half of the season. We thought, like, you know, Star Wars fans are loyal and they weren't Well, yeah, them. I mean, think of what the downloads they probably got on those <laughs> unfinished episodes. They're like, what are we doing? What are we knocking ourselves out for? Mm-hmm. We can throw uh, stick figures as long as it's canon. People want to watch it. Yeah, yeah. should do like, one of those sort of strange episodes, you know, like you get with a lot of science fiction shows where they suddenly kind of go out there and do like a... A stop motion episode or a puppet episode or something. I would love that. You know, if the, I, w- I would love to see 
um, them to do like a throwback where they give us a Rebels episode, but done in like Ewoks or droids style. Oh, just would, one episode would be fun. Or nothing but shadow be, puppets would be cool. Just <laughs> shadow puppets. Shadow puppets. Yeah. I might even produce that. Yeah. Or maybe they give us a whole show done with action figures. Mm. I, yeah, I think that's probably out there already, but I'd, I'd like a Muppet version. It would be great, I think. <laughs> Muppet version. Oh, that would be awesome. Be awesome. I mean, you know what? It's funny, Paul. You mentioned South Park, and I actually have South Park on my in my notes. I don't know if we've covered this, but is Chopper not the Kenny? Oh, yeah. We've, <laughs> we've talked about this. We, we've talked about it because I swear, yes. I swear when those troopers approach him. Yeah. He turns and drops. <laughs> yeah, he's three little words. Even listen to Chopper. At WTF. The, you know, at the, <laughs> you hear that actually when you listen to our, our opening for this show. Chopper is the last voice you hear before we start up the show. Star Wars Rebels yep. to Classify. And he yep. says, he does that. And <laughs> it's like, come on. I even have that written in my notes because, mm. yeah, when he was... Um, in this episode, Vision of Hope, when Chopper is dealing with those stormtroopers who approach him by that that manhole cover, and uh, I, I swear I am hearing things. I am interpreting what Chopper is saying, and uh, I don't know why the troopers aren't, but I'm hearing them loud and clear. Yeah, I've, I've always said one of these days we're going to get a Blu-ray release of the movies where we have subtitles for R2-D2, and it's just going to be like 18 certificate. <laughs> all things he's been calling 3PO for years right, right. <laughs> just, oh, no. yeah and I'm um, sure I, I bet he does not worry about political correctness at all and uh, I, no, I think he's, he hits below the belt way too often yeah. I often think Chipper reminds me of the uh, you know the adult voices in Peanuts do you remember that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the teacher <laughs> The teacher and and try although I, who knows what those teachers now after South Park and hearing Chopper I'm wondering what are those teachers saying? <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, but Jim, that's funny that you had that down too because that just it it jumped out at me. But I I love it and I still have the theory that um, I think you share it too that uh, Dave Filoni's doing the voice of Chopper. Yeah, there's something mysterious Filoni. about that that yeah. Chopper voice. I don't know. Yeah. We really yeah. have to. I, we might have to take that into the sound lab and try to strip it down a little bit, and <laughs> see if we can actually decipher what's going on with Chopper. You know, I'm finding guys when we have the discussions about Rebels, um, because it is so close in proximity in terms of the timeline to the original trilogy, and we're of course all three of us are sort of that OT generation. Uh, I find that more times than not, the conversation sort of blossoms into sort of a a larger discussion about sort of what's going on and how it how it uh, affects what we're about to see more so than the clone wars i felt like when we talked clone wars that we were really drilling down into the specifics of the episode whereas with rebels i feel like it uh, for some reason it lends itself to a a much broader discussion and the, the actually the the show title jim the episode title um vision of hope and the whole notion of uh, there being uh, hope in the galaxy for a restoration of, of freedom, it made me think, and I don't want to be too literal about it, but is it possible that when by the time we get to episode four, and it's called A New Hope, will we have seen what the old hope was? Oh, yeah. Hey, I, well, I like how you, you place that. I mean, it's something... A new hope that can be applied in so many different ways when you think of the saga on a whole. I think it's really interesting, too, how you you 
sort of compare the way we analyze this series compared to how we analyze the Clone Wars. I mean, the Clone Wars, of course, was firmly entrenched between episodes two and three. So we had those perfect bookends to work with. Um, I think it's harder to find connections between episode three and episode four because you're dealing with maybe two decades worth of continuity to fill. And uh, so anything could happen. And also it's uncharted territory too. the, the dark times is traditionally a, a part of Star Wars history that has been mostly off limits over the years. You know, some comic books have gone into that territory and video games. But this is the first time we're really seeing hard canon being applied to those those dark times. Five years prior to A New Hope. So, uh, so you're saying that Ezra could possibly be... The first hope. <laughs> the first hope. Because what I'm wondering is, is there, and Paul, please feel free to jump in. It's just, it's just the three of us, so anything goes. Because I'm wondering if what we're seeing with Rebels, is there going to be a moment when this culminates into some sort of sacrifice to allow Luke to take his place as the new hope? I like it. And I, I think... <sighs> I, I was thinking along those lines the first time that we saw um, uh, um, the, f- the first time Ezra got his lightsaber, you know, and he stood there with his his lightsaber in the, in the air. It reminded me of Ralph's kind of original kind of sketch of Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber inside a triangle. You know that artwork? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> I thought like, yeah, they're, they're making a really kind of clear statement about this kind of connect, connects back to the OT. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went there at all. I, mean, I think it, that's definitely the way forward. I mean, having seen that Lando episode, I mean, my interest in the show has suddenly kind of doubled. You know, I kind of like I really like the fact that that the, they're prepared to go that far and bring in an OT character, and I think they should do a lot more of it. And I think the more connections we have that are uh, significant rather than kind of throwaway, the better for me. I think you know it would be nice if <clears throat> you know I don't know we maybe get a young Akbar or a. You know, some of the some of the kind of connection with the OT that we like, you know? Absolutely. I, I think that they have you know, I love the fact that and I know that at, at times it's frustrated fans because particularly during the Clone Wars, why aren't we seeing more legacy characters? And um Dave Filoni is so protective in a way of those characters and wants to use them and it wants to only use them if they're making a significant if, – if it's worth it, if, if they're making a significant contribution. So, Jim, I think the show is stronger because of the restraints that he puts on that. You know if he's going to pull a character out of mothballs, it's going to matter. Mon mothma balls. Um, <laughs> sorry. Mon mothballs. Mon mothballs. Mon mothballs, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of Rebel Force Radio's <laughs> Star Wars Rebels Declassified is brought to you by Mon mothballs. <laughs> Put them in your closet. Hey, you know. Yeah, it keeps the Minox away. Here's when we swears. know. Here's when we know all bets are off. Uh-huh. is if they finally bring Han Solo into an episode of Star Wars Rebels. He came close to being included into an episode of Clone Wars, much closer than a lot of people understand. And, uh, mm. you know, there's been certain clues thrown out there as to uh, how far along they got in that process and which actors might have been considered for the role. And uh, I'm going to keep that a mystery. <laughs> I'm going to keep that a mystery. But um, But that's when I think that, you know, all bets are off. Sure, Chewie crossed over into the Clone Wars. 
And already in this series, we've seen Lando, 3PO, R2. Who am I missing here? Yoda, um, Ben, Vader. Yoda, Ben, Vader. Ben. Oh, Ben was in it. Yeah, yeah. right, right. That's more Obi-Wan than Ben, I think. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? Once he leaves, though, once he gets on Tatooine, I, I consider him Ben. He's all Ben. He's all, all Ben. He's, he's 100%. He's Ben, Jim. He's full he's Ben. ben. <laughs> full on Ben. But I'll tell you, um, I, th- I always thought that in Spark of Rebellion, that message that's in the holocron, was recorded before Yoda and Obi-Wan left the Jedi Temple in Revenge of the Sith. Remember, they they showed Obi-Wan as he was kind of closing down that recording apparatus. Yeah, I thought, that doesn't Yoda give him orders to send it out? Yeah. And so I think that, I think you're right, I think that is the message that we never saw. Right. That was recorded during the final events of Episode 3. All right, so fine. He's Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. So should they finally bring over Han Solo, then... Hey, who can forget we've seen Darth Vader in Rebels, too. I so there's that. you did say Vader? Okay. Yeah. You, you Yoda threw... Ben. I've got a list here. Yoda <laughs> Ben. Va- hold on. Ben's wrong. OB. Yeah, change that. One. So Yoda, Obi-Wan, Vader, Lando, R2, and 3PO. I don't think we're missing. Oh, Paul, are we missing anybody? I don't think so. so. Well, my, um, my only kind of criteria is like, um, uh, you know, I, those characters are so strong. You know, I mean, my argument quite often in, when we were watching the Clone Wars was why are we getting a why are we getting an episode about three dustbins and a frog when we've had nothing to do with Yoda for <laughs> You know, <clears throat> and it's like I'm sorry, I don't care about that new little frog you've come up with. I'd rather see Yoda is in which you know you're, you're so okay. you're you're so right because you know we would hear Dave talking about um, <clears throat> the the fact that you know th- there's so many great characters fighting for screen time yeah. in this rich world, and it's like yeah, but. You know, and and I, it'd be unfair to hold any one individual accountable. And I think George was driving the the ship on that. I think George was trying to do. I think he was trying to combine both of his passions. He was combining his little art films that he said nobody would want to see with <laughs> with the Clone Wars at times. Whoops. Let's be, let's be honest. These are the episodes that nobody want to see, and we all love George. But it was George's fault. There's no doubt about that. I think everybody realizes it was definitely George's fault. For yeah. sure. I think he was accountable for 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 two. Look, he was accountable for a lot of great stuff. Right? But but I. Yes, the two exactly. things that I do think we can sort of lay the blame, if there is, on him in terms of Clone Wars, not to go down this rabbit trail too long, but is one, the, oh. uh, the lack of continuity from episode to episode. Because I think George would, would say, uh, hey, uh, that episode about the, uh, that, that one uh, clone trooper, let's, 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 go back and, <laughs> let's go back and see what, uh, see what he was doing the day before. <laughs> you know. So they would have that. And then you would have, you know, again, I think him trying to bring in some of these really, really bizarre concepts. It almost makes you wonder, fellas, this would be this would be a great topic for one of those what if shows. But it almost makes you wonder what if George would would be a young filmmaker today and create Star Wars, the first Star Wars, with all the tools at the disposable at the disposal of a, a storyteller today. I mean, would would. Would it have been as great? Was George's storytelling enhanced by the limitations? Yes. Yes, it was. It was, it was a series of lucky accidents and, uh, and events that led to Star Wars being so amazing. But George didn't set out to create that. He had a different vision in mind as far as, I mean, you know, obviously he was restricted by the tools of the time. 
But I, you know, he always looked at it to be bigger than it was. And so he made those changes to it when appropriate. So we sort of do see a little bit of what George would do if he was making Star Wars with modern tools at his disposal when you look at things like the special edition. But now we're even looking at, you know, those those films are 18 years old. And we know that he really pushed the envelope far with what they created as far as technique and technology for the, the prequels, right? So, um so I think what we'd be seeing is Ender's Game. It's, you know, that's what we'd be seeing George make if he made Star Wars today. Uh, you know, um, yeah, right. More style than substance. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like he, you know, it's one of those things where he can't make such a classic completely by accident. I mean, I'm sure you know a big chunk of it is, is absolutely George being a genius, and then the the other, you know, magic <clears throat> magic dust was a combination of uh, all the special people that he chose to put around him, and then also just you know the limitations of the time, and you know meant that we ended up with what we did. That and you know almost everybody kind of looks back on those films as perfection, even even with the passage of time. You know, I'm <clears throat> sure you can see the kind of the strange haircuts and all that, you know, but I think uh, there's, there's really nothing I would change about those old films. At what, all. Do you mean, what do you mean strange haircuts? He avoided fashion, Paul. Yeah. So that it would be timeless and not dated at all. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't be the one saying, criticizing the haircuts either. You know? <laughs> My hair is firmly rooted in the 70s, I think. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk a little bit about, um, let's, as we sort of narrow down our focus into this episode, there's one more kind of larger question I wanted to talk to you guys about. Uh, which is uh, visions? The idea of visions uh, in Star Wars. We've 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 seen them. You know, going back to perhaps the first one that we saw chronologically would be in The Empire Strikes Back when he's when Luke is training on Dagobah, and we don't see the vision. We know he's having a vision of Han and Leia and Chewie and all of them on Cloud City, and that's when Yoda says, you know, always in motion is the future, uh, difficult to see. And in some cases, we sort of just chalked it up to it being the cloud of the dark side that we heard about in the, in the, in the prequels. But I'm just wondering, is there more of a universal truth in, in Star Wars to where perhaps that seeing the future you know, is, is, not, is not natural, as we might hear? Is, is, it, is it about seeing the future and, and wanting to control it? Is it uh, what is it about visions, the future, and Star Wars, and how it relates to this episode? All right, if Throw I'd like to, there. I'd like to take this if I can, because I have a few thoughts on that. My first thought is: is not all Jedi can have these visions. Not all Jedi experience that. I think it was when Ahsoka was experiencing her visions regarding Zero the Hut in the Clone Wars. It was hinted to us that not all Jedi have that ability to see things before they happen. They don't all get the visions. Um, of course, Qui-Gon Jinn says the ability to see things before they happen is a Jedi trait. But he doesn't say all Jedi have that ability. Well, well let me just ask a question, though. I think, I think maybe, because I thought about that, too. He could see things before they happen. It's a Jedi skill or whatever. Um, but is there a difference between knowing that a blaster bolt is coming milliseconds before it actually happens and actually having a vision about a loved one dying well, it, it's, and what they're it, going to die right. of. I, think, I don't think it's the same thing. No, it's almost like comparing Spider-Man's spidey sense to having a vision being able to see the future. Spider-Man can't see the future. 
but he he has the ability to have awareness about something happening moments before it happens because things slow down for him you know things move a little more slowly for him i always assume like it would for a spider i'll also argue that the first vision we saw in Star Wars was not in Empire Strikes Back, but it was at the moment Alderaan was destroyed and Obi-Wan had a little grabber there. He, I don't know if it was more of a vision or an emotional thing he was feeling. I think it was, a, I think it was that Jedi are so attuned to, the, the, well, in, in Obi-Wan's case, I think the living force, he was so in touch with it that when that many life forms are extinguished and that quickly especially when he was on his way there. Mm-hmm. So he was really in tune with it. Okay. That that's what it was. I, I thought about that, Jim, but I don't know if that Paul will be the tiebreaker, Paul vision or a feeling. <laughs> I think I judges. Think, <laughs> I think when they have, you know, I mean, for me, it just feels like, you, you know, they're choosing to go one way or the other with a plot, whether they kind of go for, Oh, I can kind of feel something or have a full on vision. It's generally kind of like, it seems to me as though it's used as a device to sort of tell us whether a thing is important or not. You know, I mean, when you've got a story about kind of characters that are, you know, many, many characters who have essentially have superpowers, you know, it can kind of quickly become sort of normal, you know, that they do this. And when they, when they want to sort of show us that there's a big event and, and kind of push into an area where it's a bit more mythic, then we start getting visions, don't we, where it's like, okay, now it's significant, you know. So I think... If uh, I mean, it just sort of seems to me that, that you know, the, the, the only ever sort of use these kind of vision devices when it's like, you know, they're trying to tell us something is, is important and going to pan out along a long arc. So I think I think they're going somewhere with all these visions. I think it's going to. OK, so, Paul, you kind of have a little bit more of a kind of a pragmatic. Hey, this is a storytelling device. I don't know that we can put yeah, you know, firm put, handles around it. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, for me, it's. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody who wasn't a Jedi had a vision, but I mean, so far we haven't had that. Well, Jim, what do you think about the idea of seeing the future, whether it could be more of a, a dark side sort of uh, thing to do? Because we're not supposed to interfere in the future. Yeah. I, you know, Yoda, Yoda says to Luke, you know, if you honor what they fight for, no, let it unfold. Let it happen. Hmm. Let's see. So the ability to see the future is a Jedi trait to see things before they happen, if you want to be specific about. It. Yes, but but Yoda, Anakin comes to Yoda in episode three and talks about visions and, and, and it's yeah, visions. Yeah. Visions, you say. So, I mean, it's very obviously <laughs> it's different than um, seeing things before they happen, which is how Jedi are able to survive in combat. Yeah, so it's it goes back to more like a, a Spidey sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think Spidey sense would be the the being able to dodge a blaster bullet. Yes, but having a full on vision of someone dying or yeah. in pain, the ability to see the future. Right. I mean, you're looking into the crystal ball, right? Right. I just wonder if there's if there's a danger because every time it happens, they start to freak out because Kanan sort of freaks out. When Ezra has this vision. Because maybe the ability to have the vision is a Jedi trait, but to act upon that vision and try to change what you've seen or try to insert yourself into that situation, that might be considered a dark side thing or just something, you know, something unknown and uncontrollable. 
could be. I think Kanan, too, was hoping that Ezra's emotions in this case weren't going to force him to try to make something happen. It all goes back to when you have um, Marty McFly bringing the the, the, the book. <laughs> it all goes back to Back to the Future. It does. Yeah. It does. When he brings that sports almanac back yeah, and, right. and they decide to make bets on that. What that's that's that, that's the dark side, okay? Just just having the book is not the dark side, but to place bets on it is. Ah, ah okay. okay. I'm okay with that. So the ability to do this is not bad, but the the but to interfere in a way, although it would take a very very tough. Pre- I don't even think Obi Wan is by the book as Obi Wan was. If he had a vision that his uh, what was his squeeze name? Satine? Yeah. Saltine. So yeah. is it um, yes that if he he had a vision that she was going to be in mortal danger i think that even he would he would act upon it only yoda or mace windu would be so cold as to just sit by and let it happen I, oh, oh, obi obi leave my friends burning alive wan kenobi <laughs> <laughs> well I, I he does wince a little bit paul he kind of looks away oh i can't better watch Oh dear! <laughs> Think so loudly. Could you burn quieter, please? Why not scream so much? It's very disturbing. I am very badly burned. I'm very much alive. Yeah. It's just you smell like toast. <laughs> oh man! Can you imagine the smell? Oh my lord! Um, yeah. After sun, man, that's got to be strong stuff, isn't it? Okay. Because um, anyway, I don't know if Jim, did you? get all all that off your chest about visions i mean it kind of went back and forth but is there oh um yeah i i think we we've pretty much exhausted that that topic as far as i'm concerned you know the ability to have the vision is a trait of the jedi but i i think that yoda was letting luke find out that acting upon that vision is is not a good thing so when it's revealed that ezra has had such a powerful vision and Kanan realizes that he he allows Ezra to go out and you know try to insert himself into that vision essentially. So I don't know if Kanan was being reluctant so much because he felt like Ezra would be drifting toward the dark side because Kanan was initially very skeptical that they would be walking into a trap, but Ezra felt otherwise because he was getting these. These clues that were, were telling him that things are, are going to play out a little bit differently. And so then Hera dispatched him to go find, you know, get some intel and find out if, if the Imperials are actually behind this whole whole setup or if or if they're actually going to go out and try to capture this uh, senator, Gold Travis. OK, so trust but verify. He, trust, he had yeah. the vision, but they wanted to get some additional uh, intel, as you say, to yeah. see. What it was, and you know, some, there's something about Paul um, Ezra and his feelings about Travis. It's it's very interesting. I mean, Travis is obviously Ezra's hero. He's also is he not a, kind of a link in a sense to his parents? I mean, he's sort of the symbol of what his parents uh, allegedly died for. So there's something very personal about the way he looks to to Travis. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt... It, I, I'm, firstly, I can't get past the fact that it's David Niven. And every time I look at this... <laughs> like, David, 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 it David, totally David, is David Niven. Right? 
David Niven, but he sounds like Data. It's like, uh, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but I mean, I, I kind was of that, felt... Wait, was that Brent Spiner? Yeah. 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 Oh, right, right. Yeah. That's right. right. I <clears throat> but um, I, I kind of feel as though, it seems to me as though Ezra, you know, must have spent a lot of time on his own. And, and when Rebels first started, you know, you kind of got the impression that he was a bit of a, a loner <clears throat> and probably didn't have an enormous number of friends. At least he didn't have a kind of a gang around him like he, he finishes up with in, in uh, you know, on the ghost. But initially he kind of felt like he was, you know, shut away in that tower, kind of just, you know, doing his own thing and listening to the radio and what have you. So I imagine that, that Tra- Travis, was it Travis? Travis. 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 As in Chris Travis. <coughs> but, um, <laughs> Star Wars but, artist, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. <clears throat> and, uh, but I, I think that maybe, you know, you know uh, Travis was probably kind of like a... a um, a voice in the dark, you know, it was somebody to kind of keep him company when when it looked as though the Imperials had kind of taken over Lothal and there was nobody else to sort of, you know, um, to, to share his, his, his concerns with, you know. I mean, I imagine it's, it, to me, it kind of almost felt like he'd been listening to kind of pirate radio for a long, long mm. time. And this was just a voice that would kind of, you know, speak out against the tyranny of the Empire and, and make him, give him some sort of comfort, you know, because I'm sure... I mean, he's always portrayed as kind of like an angry young man, and I imagine he's got a lot of stuff he wants to get off his chest, and it, it must have been very kind of comforting to have a voice like that, you know, kind of coming over the over the, uh, over the the airwaves, kind of, you know, saying that the same stuff that he was feeling, you know. Sure. So I think that's why he's, why he's so connected to him. I think that maybe, you know, lost his parents, and then that, that was probably the only only voice he heard regularly for a long time, you know. Right. So that's, that's, that's what I thought about it. But Jim, uh, was it his... Could it have been his adoration, uh, for lack of a better word, of Travis that created that blind spot in his vision? He saw so much of what was to happen except for Travis's betrayal. Well, I don't know why he was putting so much faith in the Travis after the last experience the rebels had using his intel and acting on it. It was in the episode... Um, Rise of the Old Masters, when they saw that transmission from Travis and Travis revealed that Luminara and Dolly was being imprisoned. I totally forgot about that. That's right. And they clearly walked into a trap in that situation. The Inquisitor was waiting for them. So why didn't they put two and two together and say, hey, this guy, we were set up because of the information we got from this guy. Maybe Kanan did. Maybe Kanan was skeptical. And and maybe Ezra didn't see it. Maybe he was blinded by that because he is still a kid and, and very impressionable. Well, and Hera was also a huge Travis fan. Yes. As a result of her relationship with Fulcrum. But that's really interesting. Not only why didn't they put two and two together there, but we, we learn in the episode that he's being used as a double agent. Uh, like He's like uh, uh, flypaper. You know, they put him on a system where they know that there's insurgency. The insurgents come to meet him. He gives up their names. And if they're, as he said, if they're real troublemakers, then they all meet with, with accidents. But isn't there a pattern here? Like every time this guy visits our world. Um, but that leads me to believe and wonder that the, the pockets of resistance are not connected yet. They're all very individual on on systems and with and without a Travis or maybe a Fulcrum, there's little to no communication between them. Oh, it's so obvious because when Travis was on the run with Kanan and Hera, 
he was he was trying to get information from them. And he seemed very surprised when Ezra revealed that they were not part of a larger syndicate. They weren't just they were a very small pocket of resistance, just them. And it's impressive all the damage they've done and all the mayhem they have brought upon the empire. Just the the five of them, or six of them if you count uh, Chopper, and um, and so Travis seemed you know taken aback by that. Oh my God, just you guys! And so he saw his opportunity right there. He was going to kill them. I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead. I don't think it matters. No, no, no. It's no. It's but when they were, you know, when they were, we assume everybody's watched the episode. Yeah. He was going to kill them because, I mean, if it's just them, just wipe them out and be done with it. He didn't need to get more information. From he was them. very reluctant, though. You know, he was such a worm. Oh, it was like, it I was, mean, Hera was practically on top of him before yep. he had the guts to pull the trigger. Yeah, he is a worm and he's out of shape that we knew that from him running around in the the sewer tunnel. <laughs> he was he was having trouble catch his breath. And that was a big clue, too. Hey, oh, that was all. But that was also his stalling. Right. Well, to, it, get to, to give time for Callus to catch up. It may have been, or he really was out of breath because he's not used to that sort of activity. And Kanan called him out on it. And he said, well, this is, this is as close as I've ever gotten to being caught. But, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, so I, I guess I can buy that. You know, he's a, a pampered uh, senatorial type who doesn't get out in the action too much, even though he is this rebel. I could still buy his excuse. I mean, he's not a rebel. He's being presented as a rebel. So uh, that's his that's his his cover story. Um, but I never bought it for a second that this guy was on the side of good just because of that first experience we had with him in Rise of the Old Masters. Wow, that that's that is oh. very intuitive. Jimmy Mack. I did not put that together. That's uh, that's very, very interesting. So he was suspect too from the beginning. Of course, his behavior, the way they animated him, and as as Paul puts it, you know, pointed out, he's um, modeled after David Niven and, and, you know, kind of a very shifty <laughs> kind of character. But I mean, from the from this, the, the moment we laid eyes on him and he was not a just a disembodied holographic voice, um, I, I realize there's so, something not right. And, and they, they did a great job kind of with Hera's facial expressions, too, as she was reacting to a lot of the kind of the weird stuff that he was doing. And, you know, she's she, she once again, this episode kind of confirms about how her she's really sort of the true believer. I mean, she's the um, I don't want to say she's not naive. That's not the word I'm looking for. But she's uh, um, she she, uh, she is the one that's really holding out for for hope. I think Kanan is much more given his background is is much more cynical maybe even less optimistic he even jokes at one point in the episode hey i'm trying to be optimistic like you guys Mm -hmm. um but uh but at any rate i thought it was um uh definitely worth pointing out now ezra's the thing that hera has before you you go on the thing that hera has that that probably gives her that sense of optimism more than the others is she has this relationship with this this fulcrum character who we don't really know how that character fits into the grand scheme of things. Is this character going to be a leader that's going to bring together all these different rebellious pockets of resistance and make it into a larger machine? 
or an is, alliance. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. we have not seen an alliance. No, not of at the rebels. All. We've yeah. seen we've we've been getting little pieces of the puzzle. Travis himself could have been considered a piece of that puzzle. We know that Bail Organa is aware of what the rebels are up to on Lothal. We also know that uh, they have this contact called Fulcrum. So uh, now Travis has been taken out of the uh, equation. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which other pockets of resistance get added to their uh their their you know their contact list on their iphone well i mean but but has but has i, I guess we can assume that Hera is going to go to fulcrum and say hey travis is a traitor um and then fulcrum can put the put the word out um so i guess i guess they've lost their one of their biggest weapons against uh, the insurgents hey, Paul, hey, something hey, oddly of, enough oddly the, enough okay um fulcrum is the one who uh, who was feeding uh, Hera some information about Travis as well. Isn't Fulcrum the one who made Hera aware of the fact that he puts subtle hints in his transmissions when sure. he's addressing specific planets, giving them hints on where to meet up? Wasn't right. that... I mean, that's part of the thing, right? So how yeah. does... Now, this, this makes me suspicious of Fulcrum. If Fulcrum is feeding... I thought that too, but I think that's going too far. Why? I think Fulcrum Why? would be just as surprised. Guilt by association. Yeah, I know, but then they're gonna they're gonna lose the only connective piece to all of these um, you know rebel groups. I think I think Fulcrum is gonna turn out to be what pulls these disparate groups to, together in, into an alliance. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, but I thought about that. I thought about that, Paul. What do you think? Does this? Does this incriminate Fulcrum, or can, is there a world that exists where Fulcrum is uh, just a, a victim like anybody else? Yeah, I'd like to hear what Paul well, thinks, because Paul knows a lot about guilt by association just by being on this show. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> well, I think, firstly, I, I, I kind of smelt a rat when it came to Travis anyway. Uh, you know, I mean, like you guys, I mean, it wasn't so much that... Um, you know, the previous episode where they got, they were caught by the bad guys and everything, because I just kind of assumed that that was the bad guys tapping into the feed and being aware of what was going on, but keeping quiet about it to lure them in, you know. Um, but what did make me smell a rat was the fact that initially when we saw him, we didn't see a proper hologram of him sort of speaking. We just saw a picture. So to me, it sort of seemed like the Empire had just got hold of a picture of David Niven and, and some was just, you know, making a broadcast. And they thought, like, well, this is a picture of somebody that's really wholesome and safe. And, you know, that'll, that'll lure a few people in. <clears throat> so, that, that you know, I, I smelled a rat because that just sort of seemed odd because normally, you know, they don't broadcast a picture. It's normally kind of somebody speaking. Um, and especially if he's not kind of trying to conceal his identity or anything. Um, but... By the time this kind of came around, I felt as though Hera, you know, rather than um, more than anything, I think that she just, you know, she seems to be kind of like the optimism, uh, the, the uh, you know, the sort of positivity in this show in terms of like, you know, sort of having faith in everybody and trying to be kind of like quite parental over everybody. So, so it doesn't come as a big surprise that she would want to be trusting. But I don't, I don't think Hera's you know stupid or anything i think that she has a nature that's very kind of she wants to think the best in people but um at the same time it's it's clear that she's kind of like really clever because she really kind of was the one who, who first understood that hey this guy's not to be trusted you know and that's why he was firing blanks and and all that but when it comes to fulcrum i mean i i 
I, I can't help but sort of run away with this stuff sometimes. And, and you know, we're well aware of the fact that when Disney did the whole buyout, you know, of, of Lucasfilm, they bought a lot of stuff. And we are starting to get little glimpses of things that we're familiar with kind of transformed, you know, uh, sort of designs that look familiar, but that they were for something else or, um, you know, st- names sort of turning up that sort of seem familiar, but they're, they're from something else. Um, it's probably unlikely. Is I think that Fulcrum may turn out to be Starkiller. I think like a reinterpretation of the Force Unleashed oh, guy. No I think that I could see that happening. Mm. I could honestly see like an animated version of Sam turning up in this show and kind of being the guy that actually started the Rebel Alliance. You know, but like a, pay re- a little homage, but a reinvention yeah. of that. Yeah, because I mean, they could they could conceivably kind of carry on side by side. There is a way to make that work. I mean, you could definitely jerry rig it and have. You know, have, and it, it kind of it's enriching too. The idea that you know the the Starkiller story may be going off behind the scenes because it's not like we're spending time with Vader yet. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so I think it would be it would be cool. I mean, I don't know how likely that is, but I would love that to be the case. I'd love Starkiller to turn up and be the the power behind the rebels. I mean, I kind of feel like this show definitely needs to go into that area. I mean, one of the reasons I was so ha- happy about Lando turning up was like his character of note and importance. You know, whereas clearly a lot of the characters in Rebels probably in the end. Uh, certainly by the original trilogy generation don't really um, carry a lot of weight they're either in hiding or the dead let's face it um, you know so for me it's it's kind of important that they this kind of start playing in the areas that are a little bit less secondary you know at the minute rebels although I, I absolutely love it I think it's a great little show <clears throat> it still feels very small to me you know and, and although I realize they're, they're restricted by the cost of kind of you know making things too epic and it isn't necessarily what we're you know, you get your value from the show anyway. You don't necessarily want to see a thousand starships kind of shooting at each other. But, you know, it's all about character and kind of very... The intimacy is is, is quite refreshing and nice to kind of go there. But I, I do sort of feel like the bigger picture needs to factor more into the show. And I really hope that in the second season we start to get kind of like more significant characters kind of turning up. So for me, Fulcrum, it would be great if it was somebody like Starkiller that we haven't, you know, they haven't really experimented with. It'd be great if it turned out to be somebody like Ahsoka too, you know, because... I was just going to mention that, you know, as much as we love to uh, assume that that those of you listening to this show uh, have listened to every episode, we know that there are some, obviously a lot, um, that haven't listened to previous episodes, and that is a theory that Mm. was posited here on the program, is that Fulcrum uh, could be Ahsoka. In fact, Jim, I believe you did some... uh, audio manipulation and it it's not too much of a leap right that it no, could no. be ashley Eckstein. oh no not at all as a matter of fact let me try to dig up that uh piece of audio and uh well yeah while jimmy's doing that paul i want you to finish your thoughts so when you, when you talk about how the need for this show to expand i mean do you do you kind of visual visualize like let, let's say we're five years from now and you get your wish and we're looking back on this series. Do you see this as like, oh yeah, season one they were on Lothal, and then yeah. by you know by by the middle of season two, you know they were world hopping and all that. Is that kind of how you see it? You you need well, more of that, or I imagine if they if they're going to keep the budget down, I don't imagine that's ever going to be. It's never going to be kind of planet hopping. I wouldn't imagine to the degree that we'd all like it to be. I mean, I think that's probably unlikely. But it's it's more about. The location being significant. I mean, for me, as, although I like Lothal, and it was interesting to see like the the city from a higher vantage point this time because it seemed much faster than I than I thought it was. I mean, although we've seen that, that you know that that um, 
Although we've seen that horizon shot of uh, of uh, Lothal, you know, from uh, from a distance, and you know, it looks just like Ralph's painting. Today, we well, this episode we saw we saw saw it from very high up, and it seemed enormous. I mean, it looked like Coruscant. So it was like, you know, this is a much bigger place than than I really kind of understood it to be. But <clears throat> I don't know. It's more about you know significance in the great story. I just like it. I'd like I'd like to see the calamari come into it. I'd like to see you know Mon Mothma and the other characters that are kind of we've already established as being important in in the you know the formation of the of the Rebel Alliance and what have you. And I, I don't think we can kind of really brush those under the carpet. I think if you've got a show called Rebels, it should be about like the, the really significant rebels. And I know that I know that these guys are kind of like you know the, the uh, you know part of the message of, of Star Wars is that the little guy can be as significant as the as the big name. You know, um, but. For my money, it's like well, that's all. That's all well and good, but I kind of I want to see stories that are playing with the larger characters, the more important characters, rather than the kind of secondary ancillary characters. And at the minute, all the, the cast of Rebels feels like secondary characters to me at the moment. Much as I love them, that they're not Yoda, they're not Obi Wan, they're not Anakin. They're Maybe not- they're the old hope. Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> new. So I mean, I'm probably not being very fair to them, but it's just you know, I don't know. To, to me, it's like I kind of feel like I'd like a greater connection to the original, you know, our original kind of. I just, yeah, you know. I just can't help but get the idea out of my head that, and maybe it's, I don't know if it's if it's if I feel it's necessary or if it's just a concept that I particularly like, but the idea that there's going to be some sort of of joint sacrifice in order to give Luke and the rebels that we meet in mm. you know the original trilogy the the ability to to step forward in some yeah. way oh my um, god could but, you imagine if the entire crew just perishes on the ghost in the last episode that's the last image we're left with seeing right they go right into a star destroyer that's heading towards Tatooine to look for this uh force sensitive child on this moisture oh. farm yes it, <laughs> and then the screen goes. Then the screen goes black, and, that's it. and, and then they start playing uh, uh, Journey's. Uh, what, Don't what stop believing. Like? Don't stop believing, like the Last Sopranos. <laughs> yes. Hey. Uh, by the way, I've got the fulcrum clips. If Jim, if you don't have them, I've got them all here. Oh, let's hear um, number two is number the one two. we're looking for. Okay. This is where you hear gradual pitch changes, and you'll notice that the voice is number one. I think we can determine the voice is a female, and the very last pitch change does it sounds a little bit like Ashley Eckstein Falcon to Ghost docking complete heading to the airlock now Falcon to Ghost docking complete heading to the airlock now Falcon to Ghost docking complete heading to the airlock now Falcon to Ghost docking complete heading to the airlock now boy it does yeah it Mm. does. does So anyway, that was shared in a in a previous episode, and uh, wanted to wanted to bring that up because Fulcrum does now. Now, Jim, it's interesting. I mean, you say that it this whole turn of events with Travis could potentially incriminate Fulcrum. I, I again, I don't quite see it that way. I think Fulcrum could very well have been um, being used by the Empire and by by Travis. Speaking of the Empire, something that um, we kind of saw for the first time was a little bit of a uh, irritation that Callus has with the Inquisitor. Um, he feels, you know, it's, it's Callus's mandate to hunt down and destroy these rebels, whereas it's the Inquisitor's mandate to hunt down and destroy potential Jedi, old Jedi, new Jedi, whatever. And 
the two are it seems like a little at odds you know they're both mm-hmm. fighting for resources from the empire and jim it looks like callus is you know saying hey you know what let me do this because if we find my rebels we'll find his jedi yes that's exactly what he says that's his way of managing upward <laughs> and, and trying to cover his butt you know he's right. going to give his supervisor what he wants but he's not going to sacrifice the bigger picture and to callus the bigger picture is clearly capturing the rebels and putting an end to the insurgency and he feels the inquisitor is is being a little bit um distracted by the jedi but he doesn't understand the inquisitor's mission given to him by darth vader is to find the children of the jedi and the jedi that are with them and uh, try to turn the children which would be ezra and uh or uh padawan jabba as the case may be, yeah. if you what are was with that? What was with the Padawan well, Jabba when, comment? When, when, and I, I, I didn't really give myself the time to go back and look at the older episodes, but the first time Callus met Ezra, Ezra said his name was Jabba the Hutt. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> and oh, it was one of the earlier episodes, but it was definitely the first time that Callus and Ezra met. Well, I gotta, I gotta hand it to these guys. I love, love, love. <laughs> after watching, you know, five years of the Clone Wars, I love the fact that they, that these episodes tie in together so well, so neatly. Even, sure even an allusion to to that little joke. Great, yeah. great job. Yeah, and it's funny to see that Callus took it seriously too. He didn't think it was a joke. He right. obviously doesn't realize who Jabba the Hutt is. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you're right, Jason. And that was good to pick up on that. He he revealed that in dialogue with uh, Tua, Minister Tua, in his office. Did you notice how much the Imperial Complex represents and looks like the Senate building from Coruscant? I know it's based on an old Ralph design for the Death Star, um, but they uh, they kind of chopped it in half and made it into a domed building like we see on Coruscant. And Callus's office is definitely like Palpatine's in the prequels. Even that scene when Tua walks in reminded me a lot of that scene when um, when Mace Windu and is it no? I think it was Anakin walked in and Palpatine is looking at that that uh, hologram uh, readout in his office and he immediately turns it off when. When Anakin walks in, I think it's Mace, isn't it? Was it Mace? Is it that moment when they they come in to arrest him? Yeah, I can't remember. So that's that's what he's looking at that big hologram uh, thing. But I I like how uh, Callus doesn't turn it off right away, and he continues to have the conversation. Of course, his back is not to the door at that moment. But uh, it, I definitely felt like the sort of architecture of the building and the environment of that office was definitely like Palpatine's, except it just wasn't red. So you see, there's some, as, as much as the emphasis is being placed on Ralph McQuarrie redesigns for the original trilogy, we do see some subtle nods to prequel trilogy design in Rebels, which is great because that provides that bridge between the two trilogies. Yeah, I... Um they're, they do such a good job, Paul. And, and I mean, again, this is uh, there are very few people who are as steeped in in Ralph's work and as familiar of it and, and speak the the language as as you do. But for me, there are so many times where I'm watching this show and I go, wait a minute. I feel like I've seen that before. 
Have I seen that before? You know, because growing up and what, you know, look, getting the behind the scenes books and the magazines and all that stuff, you see so much of that. In particular, the one that jumps out at me is when we see the precursor to the Imperial shuttle come up behind that bridge as they're all running. And uh, I was like, I, I, I feel like I've seen that before. Was that um, an, an early concept for the Imperial shuttle? I think there's, I mean, yeah, I mean, so much stuff in in this is is just proto concepts. I mean, I loved I loved seeing the the um, the protocol kind of guard droids that are based on Ralph's early concepts, and it was nice to see a very literal kind of painting of Lothal behind um, behind Travis's head when they first kind of hooked up with him. I mean, it was just literally exactly the same as Ralph's original concept painting, but extended and had extra bits added to it and what have you. So. Yeah, I, I I absolutely love all that. I mean, that's that's you know, if they're going to stay in one place, which clearly it's you know it's a cost kind of decision to keep it you know uh, in in one location, you know, they can't go wrong with kind of like sticking to to Ralphie designs, you know. So I can't get enough of it. It's fantastic to see. It was nice to see the um, uh, one of Ralph's early concepts for uh, Jabba turn up in in the episode the other week as well. When oh we yeah, had- right. <clears throat> the villain who was kind of dealing with uh, Lando and what have you. That was nice. Although they gave him a paint job, didn't they? It made him bright red. So, <laughs> right, right. Did you guys kind of That's feel like, you know, when they were running through all the tunnels and stuff, it really felt like the old um, Dark Forces 2 game, you know, Jedi Knight. When they got to the fan, I was thinking the exact yeah. same thing. I've been here before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I, I was thinking like, yeah, yeah, that's going to move up and you just got to wait 10 uh, minutes for it to... <laughs> <laughs> Dark forces. God, yeah. that's so great you say that, Paul. I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, it wasn't as big, but it was cool. Yeah, I liked all that. Yeah, yeah. that was nice. Hey, let me... I also like the way... I, I... Oh, go ahead, Jim. Go well, ahead. I just want to throw this out there because there's so much talk about how Ralph's concept art is finding life in this show. I also wonder if if some of the... Um, original concepts for script and plot will also be included in this show. Like, might we see things taken from mm-hmm. the rough draft or the the second draft and incorporated into this show? Because some of that stuff is sort of considered, you know, um, maybe a loose history of events that could have happened prior to A New Hope. If you want to mm-hmm. start thinking about the the original drafts that Lucas did for Star Wars, and those can be found online. Uh, pretty easily just do a google search if you've never read them before they're all pretty cool and of course dark horse did that miniseries the star wars based on the rough draft I, i'm just wondering if if any of that stuff could be actually incorporated made canon via rebels much like ralph's concept art is could we see original concepts for plot being included somehow would you be into that I, th- I I think so as long as it's it's good stuff. I mean, I um, I'm really lo- the the character that I'm really looking forward to in in seeing in this at this time is is Palpatine. I've always been fascinated by that sort of that that prelude uh, to the novelization of A New Hope about how you know he was this um, you know kind of I don't know if they say beloved, but he was this you know loved political figure that just over time grew more and more isolated. And I kind of thought in looking at that, like, "Mm, that's kind of the spin. That's obviously not the reality of what's going on, but I I would just love to see what's happening in worlds that are loyal to the empire and just how Palpatine's being perceived. What's he doing? Um, Is he just walking around in that black robe all the time? Is he still trying to, you know, keep up appearances at all? No, no, Um, he closes himself off. 
he shuts himself off from. Is the, he embarrassed of the wrinkles? Is that what it is? Well, that could. You know what? That <laughs> could be a, 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 an excuse because yeah. he does. You know, mm-hmm. he does make reference to that when he is assuming the role of emperor in. Uh, in uh, Revenge of the Sith, scarred and deformed, you know. He's, so, he, so he's letting the public know. He's letting the public know. He's a little bummed and, and depressed about his current situation, as far as. But his resolve uh, has never been stronger. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got over here. We've got plenty of politicians in our faces that look like cauliflower. So. I don't- <laughs> It's an obstacle to you know. I, this is going to sound terrible, but every time I see like a, <laughs> a, a a collage of images of you know, and it's generally not the the big national figures, but you know, oh. like when your local elections come up and you get that postcard in the mail that has like nine, ten pictures of them, you're like, God, is this really the best we can do? Yeah, Frank Palpatine. <laughs> Frank Palpatine. All right, all right. Real quick before we wrap things up, I want to ask uh, some speculation for the future. Uh, ask both you guys: Will someone pick up the Travis mantle? Who is going to be, or where will this fall in terms of being the de facto voice of the opposition? Hmm. I don't see too many people really lining up for that job. Um, obviously, there haven't been anything going on, and, and this is what uh, uh, Data Niven said in uh, – I'm sorry, not David Niven. Um, Gull Tra- Gil Travis. Is his name Gil or Gull? Data Nivens. That's Data awesome. Niven. <laughs> Data Niven. Um, but uh, he he does reveal, you know, they, they haven't had – uh, um, rebellious transmission since the Bridger transmission. So he puts two and two mm-hmm. together. He's able to identify that that's Ezra Bridger. But he says they're gone. That still does not really solidify the fate of Ezra's parents in my mind. They keep leaving it open that his parents are still alive, possibly imprisoned. You could say they're gone, but I mean, it doesn't mean they're dead. And right. And nobody's ever really been able to confirm what happened to Ezra's parents. I'm holding out hope that they are alive. But you see that they were persecuted because of the fact that they were transmitting all this anti-imperial stuff. And, uh, and so I think people are like, they're, they're, they're the example, you know. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants sure. to cross that line anymore. You know, Travis acted like he was he was transmitting uh rebel propaganda but he wasn't and nobody else has picked that up so here's a thought i don't think there's what i'm saying though is i don't think there's going to be another public voice like that in the show okay here's a thought what if if, um so we've got ezra here we've got you know we've got a character who clearly remembers his parents what have you and but uh, they vanished i mean (sighs) It, it does make me wonder if that those characters could be sort of could show up later on, you know, as as, as masked characters. You know, if they could kind of turn out to be somebody that we know from the from the OT or or characters that you know we're, we're familiar with, but not without a helmet. You know, I don't. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure who though. It couldn't be Boba Fett. I think be. his I think his mom is Zuckus. <laughs> I think that's Mrs. Bridger. We'll find yeah, out. It was IG88 after a big guy. <laughs> it went on the Atkins diet, and he's never been the same since. <laughs> Right. Take that, Anthony Daniels. I can fit into this. Check this out. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, well, we, hey, we don't know what happened to Boosh, the original Boosh. <laughs> About a yeah. day Boosh. I don't know. I just, I'd love them to sort of fold it into, into something that's more, you know, more clearly established. I mean, it's like, you know, I, 
you hear fans going to say, you know, bring more Jade in or bring, you know, this character or that character. I, I, I think I, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that kind of thing would be mistaken too much, really. You know, uh, although you know that's with me saying I'd like to see Starkiller turn up because that's something that I like. You know, mm. but I, I think I think it's it is nice to get your geek on. I think when they do bring in smaller elements, you know, like kind of species that you've only seen in a game. That's that's already happened you know, in the Clone Wars, or um, you know, we've we've never seen we've never seen the Buffins. You know, like outside of the EU, it would be nice to see something that was kind of okay. Now it's in the Rebel in Rebels. This is officially what a Buffin looks like. You know, it'd be cool to see a few Bothans turn up, you know, and obviously being as it's the Rebel Alliance and a few Bothans died, you would think that eventually we're going to get to that. Um, but, you know, anyway, uh, any shape it takes. I think I think, I think the, the broadcast thing, I think especially being as, you know, this this guy was kind of fake and, and all that, I think nobody's going to be in a rush to kind of pick up that mantle, but it would be nice to, to sort of like feel that we're going to start getting some more significant kind of, you know, Rebel characters kind of turning up because I, I just don't feel like these characters are going to be <clears throat> um i don't know i mean maybe maybe my, i'm getting completely the wrong impression but i just don't feel like any of these characters are going to be kind of you know on the bridge of a calamari cruiser calling the shots i feel like all these characters are going to remain you know sort of uh small characters on a, on a little ship you know and, and and kind of keep that sort of familial small kind of vibe you know I, I i just i mean can you guys kind of imagine any of these kind of filling the shoes of a luke skywalker or a you know, well, I don't. I don't know that that's their role. I, I think that we're yeah. supposed to witness uh, an evolution in a sense, yeah. and these guys are the, 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 the prototypes, uh, or you know, I, for yeah. lack of a better term, you know what I'm saying. They're the beginning, the seed. Or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what we see in the rebels, um, you know, in the ranks of the rebels over the course of five years, what have you, is yeah, it's very different. But uh, I and I think that. They're very heroic. I, I think that there's mm. a lot. I think there's a lot of substance to these characters, mm. and 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 by the end of the series, we may look back and we may say, in some ways, that there's they're more substantive than a Ninum. Are you are you guys kind of feeling a strong connection with any character? Yeah, are you feeling like really kind of close to a character? Or? I'm uh, yeah, I, I'm feeling actually quite familiar with familial with uh, with with the whole br- uh, crew. I, I just I yeah. love watching them. Their chemistry. I uh, the one thing that and I mentioned this on the last show and and perhaps others is that just impresses me more and more is is the humor. I just I mm. just adore the way they write these characters. I thought the whole uh, little. Uh, Back and forth between uh, Ezra and um, oh gosh, the names are still not on the tip of my tongue yet. Sabine, Zeb? Sabine, thank you. Right. Uh, uh, you know, you know how I smell, and you know, hey, uh, you know, you can think <laughs> yeah. of a witty comment, you know, later. I, I just, I to me, it's so a new hope. It's so that great witty dialogue between between all of them. I, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm finding myself very close to him. I love Zeb. I love that little moment when. Zeb smacks uh, Ezra on the back and goes, "Hey, you're a Jedi. You should have seen this coming." And he's like, "It doesn't work that way." Uh-huh. I mean, I love all those little those little moments. They're just they're doing it so so well. I think what it is for me is it's not it's not that I find that there's anything wrong with the development. It's more subjectively. I kind of feel like these guys are kind of at the moment they're remaining small fry in as much as I kind of feel like they're just a small gang of people who are, you know, very you know they're based very locally and they're they're. they're concerns although you know they they kind of will impact on the on the rest of the universe they all feel very kind of small town you know small kind of universe not a lot kind of 
not not very impactful, you know, whereas the, the kind of adventures of Luke and all that gang, they felt so far reaching and it felt so mm. kind of enormous, you know, and I'm kind of missing that scope, I have to admit. You know, although yeah. characters I mean, I I love the the bit with um Chopper pushing the other droid down the hole and everything. That was great fun and you know, he's he's starting to kind of feel like something very different from R2, even though you know, initially I kind of felt like, oh, it's going to be kind of just an R2 clone, you know. But he, he feels a little bit more psychotic than R2-D2. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, like, he's like R2 unhinged, you know, yes. unchained. Kill people every week. It's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. how do I keep him? It's like, crikey, if you had a car that just tried to shut the door in your face every time you got out, you'd be like, yeah, get rid of the car. <laughs> <laughs> That's, true. That's true. Yeah, I know. I, I love that they're that they're similar in some ways, but... He's sort of an extreme version. I think that's that's yeah. a lot of fun. But I would say that it's just at this point, it's not the, the it's not the mandate of the show. Um, I think that's why that's if we look at this, we we can't look at this in isolation because mm. we know with the way that the Marvel universe is being treated by Disney that the you know it's like the people that are frustrated with the Shield TV series. Yeah. It's not as far reaching as an Avengers movie or a standalone feature film. Of a yeah. of a character, so perhaps you know rebels is rebels mandate is not to to be that. That's what the standalone films and the and the and the enumerated films are going to be. However, I have to say that's probably the worst example you could give me because I hate Shield. Oh uh, I, well, I, well, okay. Like, I would ex- I would expect you to not like it based on some of the take, feedback I'm hearing here. It's like for me, it's like take something that's really fantastic, like you know stuff that we all love about superheroes and all that. And let's make a show about the accountant in the background of this. <laughs> and let's not put any superheroes in it unless they <laughs> superheroes. So I, I kind of just, yeah. And then, so for me, this could be that way. But for the fact that, you know, I kind of, I'm enjoying the intimacy of it and I like the characters, but yeah. I just, I'm really craving a, a, a larger tableau. And for me, it was like when I initially read the, the kind of description about Clone Wars, you know, and all that, I, I have to admit, I was, I was as cynical as anybody could be about having a you know a 13 year old girl as lead character and then you know dave and his team painted such a wonderful you know um believable likable character that in in matter of weeks i i thought ahsoka's you know as important to me as any other star wars character that there was you know so for me, i remember paul it, it, virtually every round table we would have you on yeah. for clone wars if ahsoka wasn't in it you know, you'd always at some point we'd hear Paul like, you know, where was Ahsoka in this? You know, <laughs> he would always break out yeah. asking, where's Ahsoka? So you were a big fan. Yeah. So I was kind of expecting to feel that way about one of the characters in Rebels. And so far, I don't, you know, mm. I, I, I enjoy Zeb. I enjoy his personality. And I like Chopper. But the rest, I'm kind of mm. lukewarm moment. Yeah, really lukewarm. that's going to wrap up our discussion of this episode of Star Wars Rebels episode 10 Vision of Hope this was a really good time thank you guys so much for being here big thanks to those of you listening we love breaking it all down for you and we hope that uh, you enjoy it and if you've got some feedback of course you can email us show at rebelforceradio.com and our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rebelforceradio leave us a comment and please consider subscribing if you haven't to the show in iTunes or in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews are also appreciated. 
Paul, thank you so much, my friend. Always great to get your insight. It's not nice to be here, guys, and it's it's cool to talk back. So, and uh, I hope I didn't come down too much as a, a Debbie Downer, but uh, you know, I'm just I've got huge optimism for this show, and I think it, I think it deserves to you know be a bigger story. And uh, I'm sure that Dave's got a few tricks up his sleeve. And Paul, and, you're um, just keeping it real, man. I know, just keep yeah, it real. I'm just looking forward to it getting bigger and you know expanding the coolness. I like we it. Appreciate it very much. If you want to follow uh, Paul's exploits online you can do so he's on facebook and also you're, you're, you're on twitter aren't you paul sure am yep, yep. it's uh, paul rmq on twitter there you go follow paul uh jimmy mac final thoughts vision of hope all right jason help if i turn my microphone on <laughs> <laughs> final thoughts on vision of hope i i really enjoyed this episode quite a good it included a lot of good action, a lot of good uh, character development, and we finally got to learn more about this mysterious senator, uh, Travis, aka Data Niven. He uh, definitely his his true stripes were revealed, and uh, I, I'm curious to see if there's going to be more interaction with this guy now that his his front has been removed, and now we know what his his true intentions are. Uh, are we going to be seeing him return in a much more evil sort of fashion? Will we see this guy kind of grow into what we see from Imperial officers in the original trilogy? Guys like Tarkin, you know, cold as ice sort of guys, uh, Piet even. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I see, uh, I see uh, Travis becoming that kind of character if he is given the opportunity to expand in the show. Um Oh, you know, we were talking about all those puzzle pieces that go together. One that I left out, and he's a character we didn't talk about in our discussion, but he was featured in this episode, is the Imperial Cadet Zare Leonis. Right away, we're seeing his connection with Ezra be- beginning to pay off. He gave Ezra some very important information, revealed that that they could potentially be walking into a trap should they go to the old Republic Senate building to meet up with Travis. So, uh, he, and he also gave... Um, Ezra, the, the opportunity to escape the stormtroopers. But yet he's being transferred. So what does that mean for the information feed that he's been giving to Ezra? And does that also mean that we're going to see the show begin to expand off the planet Lothal as it continues to grow into season two? Because we know that Zare is no longer going to be on planet. We have to assume his character is not going to be abandoned. So I expect the Rebels to be finding some off-planet adventures as Season 2 unfolds. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Chopper, you know, he's he's the cute uh, Disney-like uh, character in uh, Rebels. But I, I love how Paul calls him out as is, is being uh, rather sadistic in his ways. I mean, he uh, he's definitely not the cute, friendly character. He's, he's mean even to his friends. So uh, I, I think uh, it is refreshing and, and way different than R2-D2. Um, Hera, once again, punching out somebody. Uh, she punches Hera, uh, Travis in the face this time around. And if you pay close attention to the sound design, you'll, you'll hear the same sound being made when she punches him as was made in the last episode when she punched Lando in the junk. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Make of that whatever you want. Um, maybe Paul Lando's has, junk has a face, or maybe <laughs> Travis's face is. Uh, oh, okay. All right, let's let's move on. 
Paul, you asked a very intriguing question. Are there characters on the show we're really connecting with individually? And, uh, you know, the, the character that I feel is, is, is the most compelling right now to me is Agent Callus. That's a character I want to learn more about. You know, um, the Inquisitor, he seems very driven and very goal-oriented, one thing. But I, I like Callus. I like, there's a certain dynamic about him. I love what David Oyelowo brings to the character in his voice acting. And I like to see Callus being so driven to succeed and ambitious within the Imperial uh, 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 plan. You know, I'd, I'd like to see how that's all going to pay off for him. I, I feel like there's something underneath the surface with Callus, And if there's ever a character that I think could turn on the Empire, it would be Callus. And so I'm, I'm curious to see if, if his blind ambition might get a little bit of clarity as his character grows throughout the series. Could he become an eventual future rebel? How cool would that be? What a huge coup that would be for the Rebellion to be able to make Callus defect I know nobody's talked about it, and I'm happy to be the first one to do that. That's a little prediction I'm making here on the show. Agent Callus will defect to the rebellion. When? I don't know, but I just I have a feeling. I'd like to see like a character, if not Lando, then somebody with Lando's kind of gravitas move into the show as a regular. Uh, because for me, it was just kind of like all of a sudden, yeah, it was like it really woke me up to the show where I just kind of thought, oh yeah, Lando really brings something that this show needs, and I'm not quite sure what it is. You know, because all the performances are fantastic and the scripts are great and everything, but there's just something about that character. There's some weight to that character that, that these these characters don't haven't yet earned. And even though you know, obviously. Lando's had a lot less screen time than these characters, really, because we've only had three movies. But we've had a you know a, a decades and decades worth of EU, and we've had a long time to sort of get to know him. And he's been portrayed by an actor and actor in the flesh in a lot of action movies. So I guess it's it's kind of got a bit more weight to it. But I'd, I'd really like a character that that we're that familiar with to kind of come in. I'm not sure who, but uh, I'd, I'd, for now I'd settle with a lot more Lando episodes. But I think I think my my interest in the show kind of doubled. When he was there, it was like, oh, wow. Well, fear great. not, Paul. The latest from um, Cinelinks is that Billy D. Williams confirmed that, yeah, we're going to see more Lando coming up in Rebels. And he's been recording with the Rebels crew for a year or so. Wonderful. So That's good news. We're going to get That's that. That's because... You know, the character of Lando, he brings so much to Rebels. He brings gravitas, he brings charisma, and he brings a puff of pig. <laughs> yeah, uh, one other little late breaking news here is uh, Jim Cummings was ah. talking to the folks at Salt Lake Comic Con's fan experience just this weekend and said that, yes, I think I'm allowed to tell you I'm back. He's confirming that Hondo Onaka will appear in Star Wars Rebels. Fantastic. Yep. And that Hondo opens Anaka. the doors. That opens wow. the doors to a lot of characters yeah. like Cad Bane and, of course, Ahsoka Tano. So yeah, we'll see does. how this all plays out. So Chocos. we're going to be seeing connections. That's great news. Awesome news. Excellent news. Vision of Hope, a very satisfying episode in terms of uh, actor and character development. I enjoyed it a great deal. Puffer Pig, not in this episode. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next time. We'll be looking at the episode. What's the name of it? It's called Call to Action. Call to Action will uh, debut on uh, traditional broadcast February 9th, 2015. We'll be here back on Rebels Declassified to break it all down. We'll see you next time. Love you all so much for Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. <laughs> 
Jimmy Mac shredding the vibes. Working up a sweat. I always have that image of you playing those vibraphones. <laughs> Every episode, it just makes me smile.